Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Hello everyone and welcome to episode 13 of the TakeCast. My name is Davis Maddock. You can find me on Twitter at Davis Maddock. This week I am interviewing Mike LaBelle who is a professional esports athlete for the New York Red Bulls and the EMLS and used to be involved with Hashtag United. Uh, we have a pretty interesting discussion on esports and the future of content and content creation and consumption. Uh, this week we are again presented by the Pat Mayo Experience. That's right, a podcast presented by another podcast. Search that on iTunes. Leave me a review, please. I'm desperately begging you, leave us a review and ratings. It helps so much. Do the same thing for Pat's show. If you want any content uh, from Pat, it's all great. Actionable, good stuff, entertaining. So listen to him after you listen to this podcast, and uh, we're going to go ahead and bring Mike in now. All right, we are welcoming to the show Mike LaBelle, who is an esports athlete for the New York Red Bulls. Mike, how you doing, man? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on. No problem. Uh, very excited to have you on because uh, I haven't actually talked about this really that much on the podcast before, but I, I'm like legitimately addicted to FIFA. I go through my stages with it for sure, and your videos on YouTube were, were probably – like your tutorials – I probably watched them FIFA 15, 16. That was like when I legit started playing like weekend league, definitely from watching your videos. Oh, man, that's great, man. I, I feel really uh, blessed in a way that a, a lot of people have been able to appreciate and learn from my content. When I started kind of with YouTube, my goal was to create a niche of having entertainment with information because I'm sure you're well aware. But when you go on YouTube and you search for how to do something, it's always the most boring video that gets you from point A to point B. But it, it'll get you there, but it's literally one, two, three, monotone voice, and maybe an example at best. Yeah, and that's not that's not what anyone wants. And we're going to talk about the YouTube content creation uh, a little bit later. But part of the reason I really wanted to have you on this show is I really wanted to talk to someone who is – very knowledgeable about esports, and I can't really think of, of anyone else who would be more knowledgeable about it than someone who is a professional esports player. You play for the New York Red Bulls and the EMLS, and first off, I kind of just wanted to, to ask about how did the EMLS thing come about, and what is the, the setup of that specific league? So I started hearing whispers that there was going to be an announcement regarding some sort of league or, or some sort of competition happening in the MLS and therefore players are going to be needing to sign to different clubs if they want to partake in this league or this these events if they wanted to be eligible that was going to be a, a major key and there was multiple teams that reached out to me and for me it was really easy to choose the New York Red Bulls as the organization that I want to be a part of they of course work with Red Bull as well and I just felt like they understood the content creation angle much better than other clubs because I didn't want to no longer create YouTube videos or no longer upload something to Facebook or do live streams or be able to kind of operate my social media 
in a certain capacity that I've been doing before when I join a club because you could be monitored or they could say, you can't do this, you can't do that. And I don't have those limitations. And I just felt like the New York Rebels really got that. So it allows me to, of course, compete with them, but also to create content and to be able to collab on different ideas. So how many guys who play professional level esports are also doing content creation? Would you say that, you know, 50% of the guys are able to make a living just off of the esports stuff? Or is it kind of a situation where you have to be truly elite to only do the esports side of things? I don't know what people's contracts look like because we don't have a dedicated union, not just talking about the, the MLS or... Uh, I want to take it deeper or, or I guess broaden it out where you look at Europe because there's so many professional players from Europe. I'm not sure what guys are signing for. You know, I don't know if they're getting a bunch of Big Macs from McDonald's or if sure, they're working yeah. out deals that are definitely going to favor them in the long run uh, or be able to financially support them solely off those deals. But uh, I think a lot of the pros are starting to get more into content creation, which makes sense. It's not as popular in the U.S. And I think it's because it's difficult to start. If that makes sense. Okay, so you've joined an organization. You want to start making content. Do you know how to edit videos? Do you know how – You know how is your on-camera personality? Yeah, and what kind of content that's actually, do you want to create? That's actually an issue with a lot of these guys, and I'm not, I'm not going to name any names, but a lot of people who are incredible – like just for me, I'm really into FIFA, so I watch a lot of FIFA videos, and a lot of the guys who are really good are not – good on camera and that's like a big problem for them because like their gameplay videos might be great but no one wants to listen to them talk and that's i think that's like a huge obstacle of someone who wanted to play esports professionally perhaps if that's a goal of yours to create the content because you know you're not obligated i'm, I'm sure there's um, the majority of contracts don't say you need this many of up this many uploads over the year and you need to make this many tweets and this type of collab i, I just don't think that that's happening right now um, so it's a matter of a desire, but I think the barrier of entry is that there's a learning curve to how to create content at a certain level, and not everybody wants to go through that learning curve because it's not necessarily fun. Like when I started making YouTube videos, I was not a very good on-camera personality, and I did not know how to edit. I mean, we could talk about it later. I know you said you wanted to kind of. I think you got your no. We can we can but... we can get into it now. We can we can okay. definitely get into it now. So what, I'll tell you how bad it was. So when I started creating content, I used to not have a face cam. So you would hear my voice similar to how we're talking now. And it would take me linking together, almost segmenting my video. So let's say the video was five minutes long. I would have to record for one minute, stop, and then a bunch of attempts to record for another minute, then link those together so I'd have two minutes and so forth and so on until I had a five-minute video. So it might take me, and it sounds terrible, but it might take me 30, 40 takes to get one video of segmented content that's linked together later. And that's without a face cam. And it's because I, I couldn't get my words out properly and I was a harsh judge of how I was talking and kind of getting used to hearing your own voice. I, I think most of us can relate. When you hear yourself talk, you're like, oh, I don't like the way that I sound. It's a very common, uh, I think, issue between people when, when you're doing, maybe if you're speaking or if yeah, you're, of course, I mean, creating I, content, I hate you're like, to ah. Edit. I hate to edit this podcast back. Like I, I really try and avoid as many, you know, verbal screw ups as possible because I don't want to have to listen to five minutes of my own voice on something. And that that's a huge barrier. Just like even editing audio is difficult. And when you take it into editing video, I, I did like After Effects and Adobe Premiere when I was younger. And that stuff is incredibly hard to learn. Like the learning curve on any professional video software is impossible and you're basically i mean i assume you were entirely self-taught mm -hmm. absolutely because i didn't go to school to study 
anything regarding, I guess, media training or, or kind of like how to how to start creating content. This is before social media really is blowing up as well. Um, so yeah, I was entirely self-taught, and I wouldn't say I was a passionate editor. I, I found it a, a little more interesting when I first got it started because I was learning a skill that I did not have. But then after you'd figured out like to a certain degree or a certain point, some people are gonna break through that ceiling and for others, it's not gonna be as interesting for them to break through those ceilings. And, and that's when you're getting into the Adobe After Effects like you were talking about, or doing a lot more detail or depth with the animations. You need to like what you're doing or really enjoy what you're doing to get the right content from that point forward because it's just gonna be more and more time and more and more tutorials of trying to learn how to add these additional editing techniques. I think you're speaking about something really unique to people of our of our generation which is that just having one skill is really not enough to kind of make it in any field like that's sort of new that's you know kind of millennial new to the 21st century not only do you have to be good at your thing but you also have to be good at all of the things that go into it you need to be able to network you need to be able to know you know what sort of posts get traction on social media and I think that's one of the things that really sets you apart is you are are good at all of those things and I guess I'm kind of wondering is that something you specifically worked on you know curating a, you know a social media presence curating a brand and do you have any insights into creating a brand kind of in the 21st century absolutely so I definitely know what I'm posting uh, and I try to just make sure to be very active on all these different social mediums and give you something different on each of them while building up a brand that has a similar feel because you can't be like, hey, I'm a, I don't know, I'm Mike over here and then on this other social media, then I act like, I don't know, Donald the farmer and then on this other social media, I act like, I, I don't know, Terry from down the street. I know those are weird examples, but the, the point is that you have to have, what if you have a character or if you're yourself, whatever it might be, that has to be consistent. But at the same time, you want to differentiate the content that's going to each place because people will share follows. Therefore, someone who follows me on YouTube might want to follow me on Twitter because the content on Twitter doesn't look the same as the content on YouTube. Or somebody might want to follow me on Instagram because the content on Instagram doesn't look the same as it might look on Twitter or uh, on YouTube. It's just a matter of which social platforms you like the most, but you were talking about transmedia and that's what's going on right now. If you're gonna get into the world of social media, then you're really getting in the world of transmedia where you know how to do a little bit of everything. And that's why I was talking about as a pro player, there might be a bit of a barrier of entry because it's a matter of, do you wanna make those investments? Because most likely, and this I could be wrong because a lot of them are joining up with clubs, but most likely you're not going to be able to uh, afford maybe to pay a plus one to edit your videos or to make posts or to help you create content. So a lot of it's going to be on you until you maybe get to a certain point and then you could start to, uh, I, I guess, give tasks to other people or work out some sort of deal or find an intern. You, you never know, but that that's another barrier of entry is that you're looking, you're looked at play at the highest level, create the highest level of content and then to do this constantly all year long. And, and it definitely makes it difficult for people. And I, I don't think, consumers often understand how much time maybe goes into a five minute video uh, when, when you're seeing something uploaded on YouTube. Yeah, that was a five hour video, you know, between the recording, the editing, the rendering, the uploading, the tagging, you name it, the promoting. 
Do you think that some of these eSport teams could actually gain an edge on other teams if they hired like a video editor or an audio guy or a producer? Like say, say uh, in the German, the German teams are ones that they all sponsor eSports athletes for FIFA. So let's say if, if Bayern Munich hired a video editor and, and that guy literally just existed to edit the videos and piece together the audio of their players, do you think that they like the best eSports players in Germany would even more so want to play for that team if they lost that responsibility? I think it would help a lot. Uh, as someone who's obviously creating content, I would love if the New York Red Bulls had a dedicated person solely for me. That would be amazing. Of course, that would have to go into their, their budget, but that's very helpful. Uh, being able to have somebody basically take some of the load off your back, that doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to have to pay additional money for that person because it's like almost a reinvestment with you guys collabing on projects and and just um working on the content in general there would be amazing it it, it could be a selling point for some people maybe it's not a selling point for others for me it would be uh definitely something that i would uh, love for somebody to upsell hey we're going to be able to give you this i remember when i was signing with different youtube networks something i always asked was do you have anyone that can help with editing and it's it's a challenge that people might not understand as well when you're looking for an editor and you're in my lane then I, I need to have somebody who's really knowledgeable of video games. You have to know FIFA. And I need you to be a great editor. And I need you to be able to turn around content like 24 hours because that's kind of how the YouTube and social media world works. And I need you to be in a certain budget because sometimes people will quote you stuff like you're a massive brand. And I'm like, you guys can't like quote me like I'm hiring you to uh, <laughs> to work off-site for a week or something. It's just, it's just one of those... Um, tough finds. Those people exist, but they have to be a professional in terms of their ability, a professional in terms of knowing the video game so they know what the hell they're looking at and how to kind of present it for the consumers. And then they also have to be in a rate that's fair to everyone because it's most likely going to be more of a side hustle is what I would think. For me, I'd be looking to probably hire somebody part-time, but it would be a good form of an additional income on a part-time budget in my opinion. Yeah, that's like that's like totally a money ball thing for uh, an EMLS team or an esports team. So if you're listening to this and you steal my idea, I totally want royalties on that. But while we're <laughs> while we're talking about this behind the scenes stuff, I do kind of want to talk about, you know, what it's like for you day to day life. Maybe not necessarily so much with the content creation because that's just a grind, but with the EMLS stuff, like. Uh, do you travel to the matches? I don't even actually know this. And and what's the the schedule of the in season league like? So currently the in season league, I think because things got started a little bit late uh, in the FIFA season, we had one major event that happened at uh, Pax East, which is in Boston, and that was the major major event. I thought it went over amazing. The numbers were great, people turnouts, everything was spectacular. And I think for FIFA 19, so that's coming in September, I'm expecting it to expand. I don't know this. I have no confirmation. So this is all speculation. But I bet you it's going to be, I, I'm thinking three to five events maybe throughout the year, somewhere in that range. So we're going from one event this year to three to five next year. And then the following year, maybe it is a, a complete league that's set up. But with the New York Red Bulls and, and Red, Red Bull in general, I'm always making appearances and really trying to push the culture forward, both soccer culture and then also FIFA culture, which you do, uh, they, they naturally or organically parallel 
which is a big reason that I think the MLS has also got into supporting FIFA, which is amazing. Because when I was a kid, I wish I could have told my parents, hey, I have the opportunity to potentially uh, sign for a club. And that was never on the table at all when I was in high school. But uh, I'll give you an example. So on Sunday, I did an event with Red Bull. It was, it was at Asbury Park, which is in New Jersey. It's kind of on the shore. It was it was really nice. It was kind of like a player signing, and I got to interview different players. And we were just kind of sitting down having a conversation. So I could do a lot of hosting as well with, uh, with, with the New York Red Bulls in terms of activating. And I would get access to a lot of other Red Bull athletes on the energy drink side. And we're able to make cool videos, make cool content. Uh, the New York Rebels also were able to get me to the, the Steve Nash event. I don't know if you're familiar with the event. It happens every year. Yeah, that the, was on, the soccer game in the park. Yeah, and that was on, I want to say that was Wednesday of last week, so it would have been on the 20th. Uh, and, you know, like they were able to, hey, here's a media pass, you know, and I got to meet, you know, Steve Nash and all the players. And I even got to have drinks with them afterward. And that's through the New York Rebels being able to supply that opportunity uh, to give you different examples, which is really cool. I don't know about you, but I'm a basketball soccer guy. That's yeah, my thing. Yeah, I'm, no. I'm basketball, I don't know if you've seen any of the clips of me playing basketball. I'm probably better at basketball than soccer, and I played soccer in college. You, and, you definitely defy the esports stereotype a little bit because I, I assume a lot of the people who listen to this will have seen your videos, but you actually are athletic. You actually do leave the house. Like which uh, that's that's that is stereotype defying because when you mention esports to someone who you know doesn't play FIFA doesn't play Overwatch doesn't play League of Legends they they just assume it's like you know the episode of uh, South Park where the kids just eat pork rinds and don't leave the basement that's really what they think that it is. Yeah, I, it's I actually think it's a misconception and specifically with professional gaming on the sports side i think it's a large misconception because most of those guys they start with a passion to to play whatever that sport is that's where their interest levels began before they got into competitive gaming even for me i was a guy that loved playing soccer loved playing basketball played all the sports games every single year and instead of just sitting at home, I was thinking, okay, I am better than all my friends at this game. Is there somewhere that I can find out if I really am as good as I think I am? And that's how it began for me. But it all fueled from my passion and my interest level in the real sport. And that's a very common story, at least in the community, with professional gaming and esports regarding FIFA, NBA, NHL, NFL, Madden, like all of that. It's often somebody who's interested in the sport that is then transitioned into being really great at the video game. Yeah, and that's actually this the case with uh, a lot of the guys who are in the NBA uh, NBA 2K league. Which mm -hmm. now the uh, I actually believe that the minimum salary in that league is higher than it is in the G League because the you know the esports audience it's truly massive and it's something really I I've never seen something that is more evidence of a generational divide than you know people our age you know mid-20s late-20s who understand and watch and follow esports and and the people who who literally can't even conceive of it existing do you actually do you play 2k at all or are you strictly yeah FIFA? absolutely no i i play 2k i play madden i play nhl some of it comes down to time like before i started creating content i got the more time to play those titles but i absolutely play them and i actually competed a little bit of madden and i competed in nhl as well 
Yeah, uh, and I I think that's a that's a common thing where esports athletes will play some of the other games. But also something I wanted to ask you about is you know the start of the 2K League in the United States was like it was mm-hmm. like a legitimate news story. But really overseas, esports is kind of it's a more of a cultural thing. It's it's not really uncommon for these teams to have esports players. So what I wanted to ask you is. Is there one reason you think that you can point to the popularity of esports lagging a bit in the United States? Do you think there's a singular reason, or do you think it's kind of a wide range of things? I think it's hard to generalize when you say the United States, or to say in Europe, or to see say in Asia. I think right. certain places in Europe, esports is very widely accepted and it's big. Uh, Germany would be a, a really good example for FIFA in particular that they support esports. Where if you went to like Scandinavian countries, that would be a good example of somewhere that they play a lot of Counter Strike. Uh, and League of Legends is massive in the U.S. and outside the U.S. I feel like it's just massive everywhere yeah, for esports. Right. So it it's one of those. Uh, I, I don't think it's is as broad, like or like I said, or, or as. Uh, is generalized as saying, well, this nation plays more games than these guys, or this happens here. I, I will say this about the U.S. I think a lot of the people would be more interested in playing at a pro level if they knew it existed. A lot of people play games casually in the U.S. Definitely and true, I, I just yeah. don't think that they like, – it's getting it's getting out there now that you can compete in a lot of games. But I just remember when I started, where we're talking going back a decade – that I, I, I didn't – people didn't know about events, about tournaments or that this existed. It wasn't a lack of ability or a lack of time or a lack of commitment. Just not knowing that there was more beyond just playing the game with your friends uh, in the neighborhood or, or playing in somebody's uh, basement or, or, or going to somebody's house. And I don't know. I grew up in that era of like the N64 too where you had the split screens. And right, yeah. I just remember the before the online play heavily. But I don't think that there's – you know, it's, it's all about reinvestment, you know, when you go to certain nations or certain locations with esports. But uh, I, I, I don't think it could be like that broad. But uh, there's certain places in Europe that FIFA is bigger. There's certain places in the U.S. that's going to be bigger as well. I bet you there's more people playing FIFA in New York. You know, even, I mean, uh, to be fair, there's so many people in New York, so it's, it's hard to make that example. But I, I bet you there's more interest in tournaments with somebody that's maybe from a more urban city compared to maybe if you're in the middle of Minnesota or if you're in the middle of – you're in Kansas, right? Yeah, yeah. I would love to know, you know – what the people from Kansas are, are thinking in terms of esports or competitive gaming. I mean, like you, I, I would say I'm, I'm the only one of any of my friends who I know who like plays the weekend league. Like I, I would be the only one, like it's not a, a common activity. And maybe, maybe it's just like the most progressive cities are going to be the ones that are really on it with gaming. Yeah. Like I, I think that's, I think to... that's true. It's a, it's a very forward looking thing. And I think that, People in those areas are also more accustomed to things on a screen being real and having real life tangible things like a lot of people in cities like that would work from home, whereas I don't think, you know, hardly anyone in Midwestern cities would tend to work from home or work remotely. Absolutely. I I agree with you. But I guess to answer your question of why certain nations are are bigger than others. A lot of it's, it comes down to where where people are putting money, sponsors, who's supporting what, and then getting the, getting it out there that you can 
compete in the game, that there is the ability to make this a job. I think we're going to see esports flourish and flourish and flourish in the U.S. now that we have all these leagues that you were talking about with the 2K League. You've got the NHL League is now happening. You have, of course, League of Legends has been going on for a long time. Counter-Strike has been going on for a long time. Call of Duty, Halo. I'm just thinking of some of the most prominent esports and, of course, the MLS E-League. So I, I think it's going to be just common activity for the generation under us as well. They, they they grow up and they're thinking, I want to be a pro gamer or I want to be involved in competing in video games. So while we're while we're on that subject, I do think there is a question kind of 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 what game will win out. And this is going super deep. And a lot of listeners to this podcast probably won't be aware of this argument. But there is this huge thing going on in the FIFA video game community, basically, that, you know, the game's not ready for esports and it's too random. And I kind of want your opinion not so much on what they need to change about the game to make it better or the mechanics or whatever, but just, you know... In all sports games, do you need to have some inherent random number generation to make it like the actual activity that exists? Because no one would argue, you know, that there is not luck in soccer or in basketball or in football. You know, kind of whatever factor you would want to look at, you know, the ball takes a wrong bounce. A PK is called by this ref and not by this ref. So where do you stand on the the random number generation in sports video games, even if they are an eSport? The enthusiast in me in terms of competitive gaming and just being more of a hardcore gamer, so to speak, where most of the time when I play video games, I'm not thinking on the casual level. I'm thinking, oh, how can I get better at this? How can I take this somewhere? How can I beat my friend? I don't think there should be that much luck in esports. There should be skill gaps even between pro players. And right now what we're seeing specifically in FIFA is the reason you see certain players outperform other players is not because of ability but it's often because of mental uh strength they they're they're handling big situations better but it's not like this guy is so much better than that guy so i'd love to see a lot of it eliminated in terms of the luck factor and it's a real tricky balance because everybody that's creating these games the developers they want to make a game that's casual where people can pick up and play but then you also want to have a title that has these big skill gaps and, and people are basically rewarded for playing longer, learning skills, learning things that other people don't have or, or aren't, aren't privy to because they didn't put in the same time. Like you say you play a lot of FIFA. You've watched a lot of my tutorial videos. If you learned how to do eight skill moves and, your person, and the person that you're playing up against or that you're matched up against doesn't know how to do any, you would hope that you could use those eight skills to your advantage. I'm and still it's, terrible it's, it's at the game though. I'm legit I, awful. I, I'm just saying like you would hope that you could use what you've learned or where you put your time in. It's just like if you learned how to do uh, a lot of different defensive anticipation and traps and pressing, you want to put that into action and be rewarded for that. You don't want it to be random where it's like, ah, because he had Ronaldo, the ball just bounced back to him over and over again. And it's all about balance. The key words can be balance at all times. Just think if you were involved in the fighting game community or a street fighter player and there's one character that's better than all the other characters. Every single tournament, it would be that character versus that character. That would be terrible for the community. But And that's what they've done a really good job with in certain years, where Street Fighter allows you to use a variety of characters, and they have different pros and cons, but it all comes back to them being at the same level on balance. They're very similar. So even though like these players are the, the, the actual in-game players or in-game characters do things better or worse, they have different skill sets, 
you, you can still win if you know how to master those skill sets properly because all the characters have some some level of balance. Similar to League of Legends, you know, they have abilities. And it's a matter of building a team with the best abilities for the style that you want to play. And in, in FIFA or any of the sports titles, the key is going to be to have some sort of balance between casuals being able to pick up the game, but at the same time, the guys that are really amazing at the game should bash them every single time. Uh, you don't want to have AI-assisted gameplay. And I, th- I think... In FIFA 17 and FIFA 18, we've seen more and more of the AI doing things for you uh, if you just let them. Like, this guy's going to hook it up. Or if you get expensive players or the best players on the pitch, uh, even if you don't know what you're doing, a lot of times they, they do it for you. And I, I think that EA's got to do work on that um, going forward if esports is a true initiative. Well, but, FIFA, yeah. FIFA as it currently exists basically exists as a machine to generate microtransactions for EA Sports, right? Like the the whole idea is to get you to spend $10 at a time so that you can get better players and win more games in FIFA. And I actually am not super knowledgeable about this, and I assume that you will know more, but in the other game like Counter-Strike, uh, League of Legends, Overwatch, what is the balance system they have there? Like is that a microtransaction system or is it more about skill in those? No, it's more about skill. Like in Counter-Strike, you're not going to buy a player that's better than other players. You know, it's still uh, about your ability. And also there's so much that's difficult in Counter-Strike. Like where you're aiming, how quickly you react, understanding the map control and the team that you have. It, it makes it where like every time you add this new level of, um, I guess, making something more complicated, of course it's going to apply to the people that put in more time. Whereas FIFA and most sports titles are pretty simple, and they're also very simple to watch, but a lot of people that are watching don't know what they're even watching. They can't tell that the people that they're watching are so much better than them because you almost need it explained um, if you're not in the pro world. And what I mean by that is, like, you can't tell of all the defensive steps that are happening and some of the anticipation and the mental battle. Because I feel like with sports games, because it's 1v1, it's very well, the majority of it is 1v1. I know we have with the the 2K League, they've kind of built out this separate game mode and they each control one player. But I don't know if that's the future or not. But for the most part, it's always been 1v1. So it's a lot of chess or checkers feel where if I read you properly, I'm going to get a competitive advantage in those situations. And League of Legends, same thing. It's another team game. I, I will say this right off the jump, too. When you make a game and it's a team game, you have to add in, like, that, that, I don't know, adding each, each when you have five guys in your team, four guys in your team, three guys in your team, every time you add a team member, it, I think the skill gap increases if you guys are really good. Because you're adding communication, being on the same page, And it's planning. less AI-assisted behavior the more people it's, that are doing you, input. You got it. The more AI, the more AI being involved is never going to be good for the competitive end of anything. Like, you need manual. You need people to have to manually move a player left or right or manually make a block or manually do this, manually do that. It's going to always be crucial for the progression of an eSport. So it's just a matter of where your priorities are. You know, like you were talking about with EA with the micro transactions. That's where EA makes a lot of their money, the majority of their money. Crazy money. Crazy money. Uh, If you guys that are watching are not familiar, so basically – in FIFA, there's a separate game mode called FIFA Ultimate Team, which is where everything competitive happens and where most people spend their time. And you can build your own team of players. I'm talking you can have Messi and Ronaldo on the same team. However, there's an in-game currency where you have to kind of build up coins that EA's created. And if you want to do this quicker, you can put money into the game. Or you could do it slower and grind the game. And you might be rewarded if you're really good at the game via playing a lot of matches, winning those matches, so forth and so on. But it has made it where people have brought in the claim, then, is it pay to play? 
because you can pay to win, or is it pay to win, excuse me, because you can pay to get these better players, and because they make such a big difference, of course you're going to increase your results with improved players, even if you didn't necessarily increase your ability. It really is like a, a very exaggerated version of one of those mobile games that exist to just get people to buy like coins 99 cents at a time. Like it's a lot more involved and you can still be good at it without putting money in, but everything is, is set up in like the loot box system to get you to want to spend more money. And that's a big problem that people have with FIFA specifically is that those mechanics that are to try to get people to spend more money also exist in a, you know, a quote unquote competitive game. Absolutely. Uh, I mean, EA was, I think with FIFA was the first game that really maximized uh, this, this, this format of kind of paying to improve your team, maybe not before some of the mobile games, but I, I'm talking about in the in the mainstream of a way of implementing a game mode that was uh, within another game mode, and it's just done so well. To say it's prominent or profitable would be just doing an, a, a disservice. A, a, yeah, yeah, it, it's not doing it justice whatsoever because of how much money they're able to generate, and that's where you see the time being invested into ultimate team from the developers end too like the, the all the changes are always made to ultimate team and i don't think you can get mad like if you look at it from ea's perspective if i worked at ea then of course bottom lines are going to be a, a really major <laughs> major factor in terms of are we going in the right direction are, are we able to support all these people that we're hiring and, and you name it but that from a consumer perspective you just want the best game yeah. i want the game that lasts the longest possible i want full year longevity i want to have a good time yeah, and I think most people probably agree with you, and I think a lot of the um, complaints are kind of from a minority community. But going from that very insular point that you and I were both just making, I want to I want to take a little bit wider of a lens, kind of about esports in general. You know, over the last five years, it's the biggest explosion in terms of like television rights and you know percentage of the viewing audience, and even if that is a small total chunk now. And, you know, less people are watching the NFL, less people are watching baseball. And um, I do think that people are really engaged with the NBA right now, but the game as a whole is drifting sort of one direction that in the end, I don't know if people will like. And so it's long been my theory that I think soccer and esports can be the most watched sports by Americans kind of by the time maybe 2050. And do you think that that's just too big of a proclamation, or do you think that that's something real? I definitely don't think it's saying too much. Um, a TV in general is down. Uh, call it what it is. Nobody's. I'm not. I'm not watching TV other than live sporting events. As that's the only reason that I even have cable at this point. And when that changes, when they say, "Hey, we're going to offer you a package where you can watch all of the basketball, soccer, football, uh, NHL games here." Like, this is all you need to buy, then I might just buy that. If it's cheaper, it makes more sense. And I think that's where we're almost at because you you all you, you only need the Netflix and so forth and so on. But right. we're seeing, like, League of Legends already, you know, when you go to the Worlds, when you see the World event for League of Legends, it's bigger than any sporting event almost. In terms of how many people are watching, they sell at the Staples Center, so they don't have an issue getting people there in person from all around the world. Uh, and I, I don't think that it's too big of a proclamation at all. I think that you're actually going to see – uh, gaming takeover way before 2050, because uh, we're we're in you know 2018, right? Or 2020? Yes, 2018. Yes. God, I can't talk. Um, 
I, I don't think even 10 years. I mean, this is moving like so no matter what happens in the world, gaming grows by about 30 all the way up to almost 40 percent. No matter what happens. 2008, we had a crisis. The economy was shook. shook. People were still playing video games. Went up 33 percent. It does not matter. We couldn't pay for rent, but we still bought an Xbox. And maybe that made people feel better during that time period. But I'm just saying, like, no matter what gaming grows, and as gaming grows, esports is also going to naturally and organically grow because it has to. It just yeah. The it, more part online, the more yeah. online that people live, the more they will want to game over like other experiences. It's it's more comfortable. It's easier. It's much more stimulating. I I, I absolutely agree with you. It's only going to get more popular. I wouldn't be surprised if we're seeing gaming overtake a actual sport and in five to seven years yeah so i don't, I wouldn't I don't think that's a hot take at all no no i think like it might not take over the nba or american football but i mean maybe one of the smaller ones when you're looking at like i would think nhl is probably the lower of the big four on sure. numbers yeah. and i know baseball's been on the decline for a while uh and i don't, I don't know about on the financial end but just i'm talking about the consumer how many people are actually watching these events? Because once you get behind them and you're promoting them, and it becomes just regular uh, TV now. I, I know uh, it's not really a TV show, but you know it is. It is just not going to be consumed probably on your TV. You'd have to have some sort of app, or you'd be watching via Twitch or Facebook, wherever the live stream's going down. You actually, um, you actually made a point um, that I, I kind of wanted to transition to, which is you were talking basically about cutting the cord. Like the only reason you have cable is to watch live sports and it's become easier than ever to watch live sports on all these packages. And you actually are involved in what I think will ultimately lead to cutting the cord entirely, which is hyper-specialized content. You know, the more content that is out there, the less you have to watch something that everyone else is watching, and the more you can watch something that is super specific. Like, weekend league gameplay tips is super specific to something that I'm interested in that a lot of, you know, other people don't care about. And so, is that a trend you see continuing more and more so to the point that, like, network television shows kind of be, I know this is like this is a create this is a big theory, but like I kind of think that that sort of culture, the monoculture of stuff everyone watches, is dying because of stuff like YouTube. Well, I mean that's proven. Um, so with hi- being hyper specialized, that is the definition of YouTube. YouTube is take something broad, then find a niche, then find another niche within that niche, then find one more niche within that niche. Most of the time. When you go on YouTube, outside of some of the vloggers and some of the guys that do make very, uh, I guess, acceptable content for the masses, you know, the Casey Knight stats of the world or something like that, where you don't need to be into vlogging or camera work or sports or anything to watch his stuff. Anybody could watch what he's doing. But outside of that, the majority of channels are hyper-specialized. They do reviews only about new monitors that come out. That's like a whole channel, and that exists. You know, We're talking about uh, my channel, where we're talking about going into tips and, and information about one video game. Just one. You don't see me uploading a bunch of content about tips in Fortnite or, right. or tips in Madden. So it's just one. So it's like kind of a niche within a niche because FIFA's a niche. Gaming's a niche. Well, here we go. Gaming would be your big niche. FIFA would be your secondary niche. And then thirdly is that I'm making these tips and information is like another niche down into that. Yeah, it's, it's um, just but it's I, I, so specialized. What Exactly. I mean, and I, all the successful channels you, are doing that. Exactly. For most, most of them are. There's other ones, like I was saying, that are just kind of broad and they – you know they they have such a big audience that they can get away with kind of uploading anything, but 
this is a good uh, hyper specialization is why we've seen TV start to fold because why watch a show that applies to the world when you can watch a show that applies to you. I think that's a I think that's a brilliant place for us to end the podcast. I think that is kind of gets at the whole idea I had behind having you on the show, and uh, I really appreciate you coming on. And why don't you tell everyone where they can find you, where they can watch your channel, where they can check out all your social media? Yeah, I appreciate you having me. If you want to follow me or, or learn how to play FIFA a little bit better, everything is at Mike LaBelle, whether you're on YouTube, you're on Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, Twitter, whatever you like using, I'm using. Don't worry about it. I'll be there. Uh, and I try to put up different content on each of those social mediums. But uh, I really appreciate you having me on. All right, everyone, that is going to do it for the show this week. Hope you enjoyed the interview with Mike LaBelle. Please leave a rating and review on iTunes. I would appreciate it so much. You guys have no idea how much it helps out. Please and thank you, and uh, we'll see you back a little bit later.